from KDNK Community Access Radio in Carbondale, Colorado in the United States. This is program number 18 of the Tactile Traveler, empowering blind and low vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. I'm Nick Eisenberg. When blind people go places, we don't experience things like our sighted friends. We don't see beautiful mountains or romantic sunsets. The goal of this program is to identify or even create experiences that are more meaningful or just more fun for us and our sighted traveling companions. Frequently, as people lose their sight, they become more and more isolated. The tactile traveler hopes to empower people not only to go literally around the world, but around the block to more meaningful experiences in their lives. Blind ranges from people who are visually impaired, and glasses and contact lenses no longer allow them to lead a normal life. To people like me who are totally blind, to sighted parents who have a blind child, to blind parents who have sighted children, and blind parents with blind children, and people of all ages, interests, and physical abilities. On today's program, what to do if you're blind, and find yourself in an active shooter situation, tips on traveling through cloudbursts, and the Blind Driver's Challenge, driving over 200 miles an hour. Fill in the news lately are stories on people shooting up a group of people and killing as many people as possible. Your chances of becoming one of those people are very, very small. But you can do things to help yourself, even if you're blind or deafblind. Valerie Chanella is a vocational rehabilitation counselor, case manager, in Sands Point, Long Island, New York. She also has been teaching blind people and deafblind people what to do in emergencies, including active shooter situations, for 17 years. I'd like them to remember that you have a lot more ability than you think you do you, to save your own life. Know the exits if you can, if you're familiar with an area. Don't be afraid to look foolish by saying, help me, or to, to, to appear like you can't do things independently. In this situation, if we don't help each other, we're going to be in a lot of trouble. You know, leave the, the 911 phone open. In other words, dial 911, but turn off your ringer. It's really important you turn that ringer off so no, you can't be found as easily. Waiting around for somebody to save you has not worked for, for many people who've tried it. It does not work. You have to be active in your own defense. Valerie says have a plan for places you go to regularly, like work school and the grocery store you know just make sure that you you are planning for not just an active shooter but all the other eventualities that can happen in life so that you're prepared because really when it comes right down to it you are the best defense you have against anything happening to you i give a course with my students that's called everybody here gets out alive because waiting around for somebody to save you has not worked for for many people who've tried it. 
it does not work. You have to be active in your own defense. There really isn't anything specific that is to um, to active shooter in this situation. It's just a more difficult situation if you're deafblind. If you're going with an SSP or another person to someplace, like a mall or something, have this discussion with them beforehand. What are we going to do if something happens in this mall? How are we going to get out? What are we going to, you know, how's this going to work? Make it make a plan. If it's a family member, absolutely have a plan. In the King supermarket in Colorado, in Columbine, these were all people who knew each other. They were all people who had relationships, but no one ever talked about this. And that's what the problem is, is no one ever talks about it. In an active shooter situation, you do have to remember that the same properties exist for deafblind individuals as they do for hearing and sighted. And that is that you, you will need to do three things. Run. And generally for my students, I tell them to run in the direction that everyone else is running. If everyone's running to your left, run that way and yell out. Don't have don't be shy about saying out loud, not necessarily yelling, but saying out loud, I need help. I'm blind. And if somebody stops to help you, grab their elbow and keep going. Um, you can talk and ask questions later and say, oh, what's going on? What did we see? Once you're outside, it's fine to ask those questions when you're in the building. Just go. Get out. Valerie says, don't just run. Remember that when you are running, if there's somebody actively shooting nearby, you don't want to run in a particularly straight line. Try to run a little zigzag, a little to the left, a little to the right. It's much harder to hit a target that is moving that way than someone who's riding, running in a straight line. When you finally get out of the building... But the police are at a heightened state of, of impact when they arrive at a scene like this. They're going to be running into the building you're running out of. Keep your hands up and your fingers spread. They don't know who the shooter is. They don't know who you are. Don't grab onto a police officer and tell them your story. That is, This is not the time. Get out, hands up, fingers spread. Walk away as far away as you can get. They're going in to get the shooter. That's their job are not successful in being able to run out of the building and get away. The next thing you want to do is hide. Hiding entails that you get down as fast as possible. If you don't think that there's a way out, get down behind something big and sturdy as quickly as you can. Lie flat to the ground if you have to, to try to make sure you're the smallest possible target. And if you have to stay in a particular location, don't move around a lot. Maybe even play dead a little bit. This way, maybe they won't notice you as much. A little tip, if you're in a mall, remember that the mall entrance side where you are is not the only entrance and exit into those stores. Most of the stores will have a back room exit. It also is used to bring in merchandise. So if you have to run into the store, run into the back area of a store and maybe you can get out that way supermarkets usually have similar layouts with offices, storerooms, loading docks, and additional exits in the back. If you can't get away, fight back. But it's really, really important that you remember if you are in a situation where you're close enough to an active shooter that you know that you are going to get hurt, there is nothing wrong with you hurting them first. If you have a cane, it makes a marvelous baseball bat. Really swinging a cane and hitting somebody in the head, face, or neck is going to debilitate them. So swinging a cane very hard can be, really be a, a bat. Um, 
Don't be afraid to throw something, something heavy. Use a fire extinguisher. Hit somebody with a board, a stick. Whatever it is to disarm them and get them away from you is probably going to be one of the best ways you can stay alive. Remember, a person who goes into a place with the idea that they're going to kill people that they don't know for no apparent reason is probably not intending to come out alive. And they're not intending for you to come out alive either. Their end game is to hurt and maim and kill as many people as they can. So even though we as wonderful human beings don't want to hurt anybody, in this situation, you have to put that aside and remember that you're saving your own life. If you use a folding white cane, Valerie says folding white canes have additional self-defense uses. All you have to do is fold your cane up as small as it would go and swing it like a baseball bat. Keeping your face turned away, swing it at the it, 90% of the time it will break a window. And then you use the tip of the cane, and it's particularly good if you have a marshmallow tip, to basically poke out as much glass as possible. Folded white canes can also be used as a weapon to stab people and poke out their eyes. Well, there is one more thing, and this is kind of a terrible thing. If you're with somebody who gets seriously injured during an active shooter situation, leave them. You're not going to be able to save them in that moment. Wait for emergency workers to come and get them. If you stay there, the likelihood of you getting shot goes up twofold. So it's a terrible thing to say. I'm not saying, you know, you don't want to love the people you're with. But if they're seriously hurt, you have to kind of leave them until somebody tells somebody where they are, but get out of there. You're going to be the only one that's going to know where they are and be able to tell people what's what happened. And you need to get out of there so you can get the alert somebody else to come in. These guidelines can be applied to any emergencies in public buildings. From fires near the entrance where you came in to accidentally being locked in a building. You're listening to The Tactile Traveler, empowering blind and low vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. I'm Nick Eisenberg. On Program 17, we talked about how to tell when it looks like rain, when you can't look. Jason Struther has suggestions on what to do when you have to travel in torrential rainstorms. Even if you think you're good at avoiding the rain, sooner or later, your luck is going to run out and you're going to get stuck in a downpour. Lorraine Hutchinson teaches people with vision loss at the Colorado Department of Vocational Rehabilitation and is a friend of the tactile traveler. She used to live and work in New Zealand, where it can get pretty wet. Many of my lessons were in the rain, and sometimes it would rain 20 times a day. Just inundations of rain, it just, just would thunder down, so you'd get rain for 20 minutes and the sun would come out, and it was... It is a rainier climate, a very high humidity. Her first tip is to wear good shoes that won't slip on wet surfaces. And her second... Wear high-visibility rainwear, like a bright yellow rain jacket. What's even better is if you have some reflective material on it, and especially if they're getting on a bus or a train early in the morning, late at night, uh, reflective is 
absolutely essential so they can be seen crossing roads, going home after work. Lorraine cautions that you could become disoriented when you take your rain gear or umbrella out of your bag. She suggests wearing a raincoat with a hood that allows you to hear both the traffic as well as sound coming from your smartphone's GPS. Another problem for everyone during a rainstorm or even after one is stepping off of a curb where water could be flowing alongside. If you can't see or feel with your cane where the water ends, you might just have to walk right through it. And that's when Lorraine says you have to make sure that the drivers you can't see can see you. Let's say you make a mistake or you veer out a little bit in the traffic, you misjudge. If you've got something that's highly visible, your motorist will see you more clearly. And especially when it's rainy, everything looks drab and gray and it's harder to see. Maybe motorist windows are fogged up so their visibility is poor. But if you think it's, if there's really going to be heavy rain, it's probably best to reconsider a different way of getting to work, Uber or taxi, if you have to walk a long way for a bus or a train. I guess that's one good thing about working from home these days. No need for an umbrella. Thank you, Jason. You're listening to the Tactile Traveler, empowering blind and low-vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. I'm Nick Eisenberg. In October, totally blind Dan Parker will hand his white cane to a friend and get in the driver's seat of his 800-horsepower 2008 Corvette an attempt to drive into history. All right, so still to date, I'm the only blind person that's ever raced with no human assistance. In 2013, I raced under the Blind Driver Challenge with the National Federation of the Blind on my motorcycle, and also they've now come on board to sponsor my Corvette. So I have a friend at Boeing Phantom Works that built me a custom guidance system it gives me audible feedback so I know how to correct and stay on course. So, like I said, I'm the only blind person in the world that's raced with no human assistance. The second generation car racer has been racing since he was eight years old and he lost his sight in a racing accident. Uh, March 31st, 2012, I had a, a violent drag racing accident at 175 miles per hour. I woke two weeks later from induced coma to find out that my brain had swollen compress my optic nerve, so I'm 100% blind. Dan is meeting the National Federation of the Blind, Blind Drivers Challenge. He's attempting to break the 200.5 mile per hour existing Guinness Book of World Records record held by a blindfolded British driver. The National Federation of the Blind, Blind Drivers Challenge goal isn't to make blind drivers drive 200 miles an hour to the 7-Eleven. It's to develop the technology to make it possible for blind people to drive at normal speeds. The Blind Driver Challenge is an effort by the National Federation of the Blind to accelerate the development of technology that will, at some point, allow blind people to drive. 
Um, and it really has a couple of purposes. One is to demonstrate the capacity of blind people to drive. And the other is to get automakers to work on technology that will actually allow blind people to drive. In other words, and, and nowadays that means making sure that the interfaces that will be built into autonomous vehicles are accessible. So the first thing we did was demonstrate that if a blind person has the proper technology in a car, they can actually drive it. And our president, Rick, uh, Mark Riccobono, did that uh, 10 years ago, actually, uh, through a demonstration on the Daytona road course. And now Dan Parker will do the, the same thing, uh, only at a much higher speed as he tries to break a world speed record. National Federation of the Blind spokesperson, Chris Danielson. That operating a vehicle is a matter of judgment based on having access to information and accessible inputs. And that makes the, the case all the more strong for the idea that blind people can drive an autonomous vehicle. The original Blind Drivers Challenge vehicle was demonstrated 10 years ago on the Daytona International Speedway. Navigating the course's turns as well as avoiding dynamic obstacles by following input from the vehicle's GPS cameras, and light sensors. All right, so the Blind Driver Challenge vehicle that President Riccobono drove has like uh, vibration motors across his fingers and up and down his back to let him know how much to steer right or left. Well, I have so much nerve damage in my right arm from the wreck that caused me to go blind. Mine is all audible. So I have a set of molded earbud speakers, and, and so it's actually speaking to me like straight, 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 right, right, straight, straight. I'm actually getting audible feedback every four tenths of one second. So, you know, I'm getting two corrections in under one second. And we can adjust that value so I can get them faster than that if I need to. Dan drives his car from storage and service areas to the race start with the help of a passenger who has a dual steering wheel like many driver training cars. The assistant steers the car while telling Dan when to increase gas or step on the brake, but doesn't talk to Dan or touch any controls during training races. One thing the sensing equipment doesn't tell Dan is how fast he's going. Like, I went 153.8 in the spaceport, my first full pass last year. I knew I was going fast, but I didn't, you know, numerically, no, I don't. All I know is I'm just trying to go as fast as I can. You know, and uh, I didn't know until after the run how fast I exactly went. Yes, yeah, it, it would get it, it would be too much information trying to take on. So, you know, we just don't even worry about that. Another unusual thing about Dan's car, it's not a big, loud, macho-sounding race car. It, it's actually it's actually very quiet. I designed the whole race car because I built race cars for a living before I went blind. And so we actually applied three layers of what's called lizard skin, which is a sound deadening material. Um, we put it inside the doors, you know, the whole inside the car is lined with it. And also the exhaust system is custom designed. It actually has three mufflers to try to make the car very quiet so I can hear all my feedback from my guidance system. Dan didn't just go 
from race car driver to blind to blind race car driver. On the way, he went through what many people go through after losing their sight. I went to bed one night, and I, I was close to committing suicide. And I dreamed of my brother, who passed away in 2009. I, I went to bed thinking of my brother, who passed away in 2009. He told me about four guys from France. They built a motorcycle, 50cc bike. They took it apart, put it in their luggage, flew to the United States, rented a car, drove to Bonneville, put the bike together, and they each got a record. And so I guess I went to bed that night with that on my mind, and I woke up at 2 o'clock in the morning with a dream that I could race, be the first blind person to race the Bonneville Salt Flats. I never went back to bed that night, you know, back to sleep. And when my uh, now fiancé woke up, Jennifer, the next, that morning I, I told her, I said, I figure out what I'm going to do. And I told her I was going to race Bonneville. She said, okay. So that dream that night changed the whole direction of my life. You know, it gave me a purpose. And then um, little down, you know, I had no idea what happened so fast. You know, I, I was flat broke, didn't have a job, you know, just but long story short with a lot of help of friends and sponsors and, you know, supportive of some really good people. I designed and built my motorcycle in only 10 months. So uh, August of 2013, I became the flat, first blind man to race the Bonneville Salt Flats. I returned in 14 and set my official FIM class record with no exemptions for blindness as I was able to, to race with no human assistance, just like everybody else, you know? So I have a record. My record is 62.05 miles an hour for my class at Bonneville. The Driver's Challenge is sponsored by Cruise, a company that develops self-driving cars. They hope to incorporate what they've learned from Dan's research and fortitude. We can learn from Dan's fortitude, too. I'm not going to let blindness define me. I want to help define blindness. You know, I want us to be able to, to work together to show people what we can do and help change the unemployment rate for the blind. You're listening to The Tactile Traveler, empowering blind and low-vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. I'm Nick Eisenberg. It's my talking scale, reminding us that we'd like you to weigh in on how we're doing. Please let us know by sending an email to the tactile traveler at gmail.com. We spell traveler the American way with one L. We'd also like to hear your story ideas from all over the world. Please send us an email with story ideas in the subject line to the tactile traveler at gmail.com. If you'd like to help underwrite this program, please send us an email with underwriting in the subject line to the tactile traveler at gmail.com. Transcripts of this program are also available for our deaf listeners by searching the tactile traveler in any search engine. This program is also being broadcast on the Audio Information Network of Colorado and in additional states. It's also available by typing the Tactile Traveler into any search engine and available wherever you get podcasts and by asking your smart speaker to play the podcast, The Tactile Traveler. 
Frequently, Alexa's a little dense, and you might have to ask her a bunch of times. We'd like to thank the following organizations and people that help make today's program possible. Be My Eyes, Microsoft Accessibility Tech Support. Apple Accessibility Tech Support. Marina Carroll. Elizabeth Campbell. Tiffany Testo. Georgette Cole. Hava Dean. Pete Lane. Jeff Thompson. Tony Mame. Diane Taylor. Terrell Hill. Molly Roby. Paula Frond. Hannah Hunt Moeller. Leslie Steffens, Lorraine Hutchinson, Sarah Williams, Sophia Williams, Lucas Turner, and Raleigh Burley. This has been the Tactile Traveler, empowering blind and low vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. This has been a production of KDNK Community Access Radio. Carbondale, Colorado.